0: Savior, like a shepherd, lead us, meet us where we are, each of us coming from so many different places. Not just geographically, but spiritually, questions, emotionally, so much swirling in our world, physically. Meet us where we are and then lead us, take us to the place you want us to be. For the good of our own lives, for the good of our communities, for the glory of your name, Jesus, we pray, amen. There's a single phrase we're hoping will help to center your heart this season of Lent. Maybe we've mentioned it already. Lay it down. Borrowing from John's gospel, Jesus saying, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. There's an associated posture we're inviting you to hold this season of Lent, an open-handedness. Lay it down. An embodied prayer. Lay it down. I read an article this week suggesting that violent crime in America is at a 25-year high. Murder rates are up 30% from two years ago. Last weekend alone, there were nine mass shootings in America. Alcohol and drug overdose are up. Americans' blood pressure is on the rise, mental health is on the decline, vehicle crashes are surging, and the author was suggesting, although it's so very complicated, one of the deep seated reasons is a deep seated frustration in each of us. And though we may not lash out in violent crime, I think a few of us at least might know what it's like to carry around a frustration. And I'm wondering today if maybe we don't need to lay it down. Lay it down. I was in a conversation this week with a young man. A couple of years ago we met. He said to me, I wouldn't really call myself a Christian. And then this week we met again after several years, and he said, I've been born again. I wanted to to hear that story. He he went on to to tell me his tendency to carry bitterness and anger. And he, he said, forgiveness is just a better way to live, not only because someone else gets off the hook, but rather you can't carry around that kind of bitterness and anger for too long before it begins to deteriorate your soul. Reminds me of the words of Lewis Smedes who says, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover the prisoner is you. Sounds like, lay it down. Lay it down. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. What do you need to lay down? If you're going to daydream uh, daydream in that direction, uh, I want you to listen with me to the next moment in Jesus laying it all down as an invitation for you to consider, what do I need to lay down? Then they took Jesus from Caiaphas, To Pilate's headquarters, it was early in the morning. They did not go into Pilate's headquarters so as to avoid ritual defilement so that they could eat the Passover. So Pilate went out to them and asked, what accusation do you bring against this man? They said, if he were not a criminal, we would not have brought him to you. Pilate said, take him yourself and judge him according to your own laws. And they said, we're not permitted to put someone to death. They said this to fulfill what Jesus had spoken when he indicated the kind of death he was to die. So Pilate went back into the headquarters, summoned Jesus and asked, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, are you asking on your own or did others tell you about me? Pilate said, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your nation and chief priests handed me over to handed you over to me what is it that you've done and Jesus said my kingdom is not from this world if my kingdom were from this world my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews but as it is my kingdom is not from this world and Pilate said so you are a king and Jesus said you say that I'm a king for this reason I was born, and for this reason, I came into the world to testify to the truth. Those who belong to the truth listen to my voice. And Pilate asked, What is truth? He went back out to the Jews and said, I find no case against this man but you have a custom at your festival that I release someone for you. Would you like for me to release for you the king of the Jews? And they said, no, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a bandit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's John 18, verses 28 through 40. If you want to Find it in a Bible near you or maybe the smartphone on you. There are two iconic moments. Well, the whole, the whole experience is iconic. There's two phrases that I want you to notice with me. Jesus says, my kingdom is not from this world. And he repeats it three times, which is the Bible's way of saying, look here, My kingdom is not from this world. My kingdom is not from this world. With the cross just ahead and the grave right around the corner and the resurrection about to turn the world upside down, Jesus, knowing all that this night would hold for him and all that night would hold for us, starts talking about the kingdom. And truth, Pilate asks that haunting question, what is truth? Philosophers have been pontificating and theologians have been arguing while the rest of us work it out on the playgrounds of our lives. What is truth? With the cross just ahead and the grave right around the corner and the resurrection about to flip the world on its head, Jesus starts talking about the kingdom And about truth that's where I'd like this sermon to go if you don't mind but first a prefatory detail this is a way of making a two-point sermon a three-point sermon a prefatory this is the pre sermon before the sermon here's how we enter the scene then they took Jesus from Caiaphas to Pilate's headquarters it was early in the morning It was early in the morning. That's John's big deal. That's John's big idea. John's always playing with images of light and darkness. He begins his gospel. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Borrowing from the prophecy of Isaiah who proclaimed, The people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light echoing the Bible's very beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness covered the face of the deep. While a wind from God swept over the waters, and God said, Let there be light. It's always been about light and darkness. And here we are again. Here we go again. It was early in the morning. The day is about to break. The dawn is about to shine. The light's about to enter. John's not messing around. We read John 18 and see the betrayal and the denial and the arrest and the trial and the suffering and the pain, and it breaks our hearts. But John, John's announcing, yes, yes, that's true, but don't miss. Keep your eyes open. The light shines. It was early in the morning. This darkness is the way to the light. And we walk around our lives so often and see the pain and the sadness and the hurt and the heartache and all of it's true and all of it's real and we need to find the language of lament to give voice to the ache but not at the exclusion of hope. The light shines. It was early in the morning. The day breaks. The dawn shines. The light breaks into the darkness. That young man I was telling you about we got together this week A couple years ago, he said, I wouldn't call myself a Christian. Then earlier this week, he said, I've been born again. I was like, wow, I want to hear that story. Tell me more. He had graduated from college all that time, all that energy, all that money. I can't remember now what his major actually was, but he got out of college and he got a job, way to go, and he hated it. So he quit. All that time, all that energy, all that money, all that hope, that vision of what was to be for him and he hated it. So he went back home. The girl he'd been dating for a very, very long time, they, they weren't jiving, they weren't clicking, it wasn't working, they were arguing. He was on the phone with her. They had an argument, he hung up, he went into the bathroom and he absolutely wept. You ever been in the bathroom weeping? All you saw for yourself comes crumbling down and all you have left is a bathroom full of tears and it was in that bathroom if you can believe it that Christ drew near the spirit began to move and he was born again it was early in the morning the day breaks the dawn shines the light breaks through that's the heart of the gospel You know the sermon's gonna be long when the pre-sermon gets me all riled up. I'm just wanting you to hear again in the midst of the swirl of the world and the pain of your life, whatever it is. I don't know all of the stories, but I know there's hurt and heartache in every family. The light breaks in. We have to find the language for our sadness called lament, but not at the exclusion of hope. I like these words from Tim Keller. I found them on Twitter. if we ask why does God allow evil and suffering to continue and we look at the cross of Jesus we still do not know what the answer is however we know what the answer isn't it can't be that God doesn't love us it can't be that God doesn't love us. If we look to the cross, if we look to Jesus, it can't be that God doesn't love us. It was early in the morning. That's the pre-sermon, now on to the real sermon. Kingdom and truth, kingdom and truth. Jesus says, my kingdom is not from this world. Three times, my kingdom is not from this world. It's about power. Who has it? Who's gonna get it? How are they going to use it? Pilate was the ambassador for Rome to the Middle East to represent Roman intentions in Israel. His primary job was to keep the peace, keep the trade routes flowing so the Roman economy could keep moving so the emperor could be happy. And the happier the emperor was, the better Pilate's future looked. He's looking for a promotion, power. But these Jews, they won't... Quiet down. They want this insurrectionist Jesus to be put to death, but but they can't do it. Their their hands are tied. They can't put someone to death, so they have to appeal to Rome. They have to appeal to Pilate to get Rome to do what they want done. It's about power. But Pilate's hands are tied too. He can't just go on killing people, unless, of course, this guy's a threat to Rome. This guy's a threat to Roman power. So he comes up to Jesus to trap him. Are you the king of the Jews? Because if you say you're a king... I can take you out and I can keep the peace so I can get the cotton pick and promotion. Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus isn't having it. Jesus isn't playing the games. He says, are you asking on your own or did others tell you about me? Pilate says, I'm not a Jew, am I? And then Jesus goes on, my kingdom is not from this world. My kingdom's not from this world. It's about power and who has it and how they get to use it and how they're gonna get it. The Jews don't go into Pilate's headquarters so as to avoid ritual defilement so they can keep their their purity it's their religious power so to speak and Pilate's trying to trap Jesus so he can keep the peace so he can get the promotion it's about power and Jesus doesn't enter the fray Jesus is my kingdom is not from this world we use power to get what we want even if we're generous with our power so that things may go well for others too. It's still about getting what we want and preserving what we have. We do it on a macro level, and like politics, if we can get enough votes, in other words, power, we'll get our version of the common good. And we do it on the micro level too, the relational level. We do it in our jobs, we do it in our families. We don't talk about it in terms of power all that much, but we're we're jockeying for power. And Jesus says, the way to what you want is not the power games of the world. The way to what you want is this way. Lay it down. Lay it down. There's this fascinating move in John 18. If you want to find last week's sermon on YouTube or iTunes, you can get some of the background. Three times in John 18, Jesus says, I am. They find him in the garden. Jesus says, whom are you looking for? They say, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus says, I am. Three times, I am, I am, I am, which is the Bible's way of saying God. Two times in John 18, Peter says, I am not. Peter denying Jesus says, I am not. Three times Jesus says, I am. Two times Peter says, I am not. One time, Pilate says, am I on one level, answering Jesus' rebuttal, I'm not a Jew, am I? On another level, on John's more deeper gospel level, playing with the same word Jesus used when he said, I am, and Peter used when he said, I am not. Now, Pilate uses it to say, am I? Which is an invitation to us to ask ourselves the question, where do you think power lies? In other words, what do you trust? Where do you think power lies? Reminds me of the psalmist in Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds asunder and cast their courts from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. Happy are those who take refuge in him. Where do you think power lies? Jesus is not playing the power games of the world. You know these words, you love them like I do from C.S. Lewis. Look for yourself and you'll find them in the long run. Only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you'll find him and with him everything else thrown in. Where do you think power lies? Jesus says, lay it down. Or from N.T. Wright, a new sort of power will be let loose upon the world and it will be the power of self-giving love. This is the heart of the revolution that was launched on Good Friday. You cannot defeat the usual sort of power by the usual sort of means. If one force overcomes another, it's still force that wins. Rather, at the heart of the victory of God over all the powers of the world, there lies self-giving love, which in obedience to the ancient prophetic vocation will give its life as a ransom for many. Where do you think power lies? Jesus says, lay it down. The way to what you want is not the power games of the world, but rather the way of Jesus who goes the way of the cross. Lay it down. Lay it down. What do you need to lay down? With the cross just ahead and the grave around the corner and the resurrection about to turn the world on its head, Jesus starts talking about power. My kingdom's not from this world. And then he starts talking about truth. He says for this i was born for this i came into the world to testify to the truth those who belong to the truth listen to my voice and Pilate asks that haunting question that philosophers have been wondering about for millennia what is truth what is truth i googled what is truth four billion hits i did not read them all i did read one though aristotle Aristotle, sort of the godfather of truth. To say of what is that it is or of what is not that it is not is true. Stunningly unhelpful. Plato talked about truth. Plato, we call it the platonic ideal. Plato had this idea that there's this, this... Real, you'll never actually achieve, you can never actually find, you'll never really get to it. You only sort of limp along and sort of discover certain things along the way. I'm not smart enough to hang with those guys, I can't swim in those waters, but I am wondering what does Jesus say about the truth? Pilate asks so clearly, What is truth? Truth. We like to think of truth in terms of who's right and who's wrong. When we're in an argument with our kids, we say things like, Just tell me the truth. In other words, like, what really happened? Don't make anything up. Or in, the, in courtroom scenes, witnesses are sworn in to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. In other words, be honest with me. Give me the details. Let's get down to the facts. We think of truth in sort of, at least in Christian circles, in sort of dogmatic terms. Sort of doctrines and creeds and confessions. The enlightenment sort of told us the truth, what's true must be verifiable. It has to be observable. You can can quantify the truth. And then, of course, the pendulum swung the way other direction, post-modernity or hyper-modernity or whatever you want to call is happening right now. Hyper-modernity basically says, that's just your opinion, man, to borrow from the Big Lebowski from this dogmatic set of statements to this sort of personal opinion perspective and Jesus stands in the middle. Jesus stands between it all. Pilate asks, what is truth? And Jesus stands there. Finally puts an end to all the philosophizing and all the theologizing. Finally puts, gives an answer to the question the four billion hits have been after. He stands there and says nothing. I mean, at least John doesn't record what he says, but John's not messing around. John has Jesus simply standing there, truth in a person, truth embodied, not a dogma or a doctrine, not a personal opinion, but invested, embedded in a man. Jesus is the truth. He said it himself earlier in John's gospel, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Not an enlightenment ideal or a postmodern confusion, but a person embodied. Truth can only be experienced in relationship. The closer you are to another person, the closer you get to the truth. The closer you are to Jesus, the closer you are to the truth. Not as opposed to absolutes and data and facts. But embedded, invested in a person, a relationship. A Phillips Brooks, nineteenth-century preacher, died at fifty-seven years old, and when he died, it said that twenty thousand people went to his funeral. He he wrote an essay on preaching titled "Truth Through Personality." This is about preaching, but it has implications are far greater. Listen to this. Preaching is the communication of truth by man to men. Forgive the male-dominated language. Preaching is the communication of truth by man to men. It has in it two essential elements, truth and personality. Neither of those can it spare and still be preaching. The truest truth the most authoritative statement of God's will communicated in any other way than through the personality of brother man to men is not preached truth. Suppose it written on the sky, suppose it embedded in a book, in neither of these cases is there any preaching. For that truth is preeminently personal. However the gospel may be capable of statement in dogmatic form, its truest statement we know is not in dogma, but in personal life, Jesus said, I am the truth. I am the truth. So in a world clamoring, scratching, clawing, arguing, yelling, fighting, looking for power, looking for ultimate meaning, can we go the way of relationship? The closer you are to another person, the closer you are to the truth. The closer you are to Jesus, the closer you get to truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. Pilate asks, what is truth? And Jesus simply stands there. The world's been wondering. The world's been asking, what's real? What's ultimate? What's true? And Jesus stands there. For this I was born. For this I came into the world. To testify to the truth. Those who belong to the truth, listen to my voice. He offers truth in relational form. Let's go the way of peace. Another person, let's let's go the way of Jesus to go to other people. Rather than pontificating about who's right and who's wrong, let's ask, what's your story? Let's make space, create time to be with other people. With the cross just ahead and the grave, right around the corner, and the resurrection, about to turn the world upside down. Jesus starts talking about power. Lay it down. He starts talking about truth, here I am. Come to me. And on this day, wherever you are in your dining room, kitchen, I invite you to partake in this table, the body of Christ given for you, the cup of Christ poured out for you. If you believe Jesus is Lord and acknowledge him as Savior You're welcome to partake in this way. If you're not at that place in life or faith, if you've got lots of questions about God and faith, I'd love to be with you. I'd love to walk with you. I'd love to hear your questions and share some of mine. My email is john, J-O-N at pillarchurch.com. I'd love to get together. You're invited now if you choose to partake of communion. The ensemble will lead us.